You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Parma. Hi, I'm Parma and this is a spoilty act. We haven't had one of these in a while, uh, but we are not going to do a drama this time. We decided to do Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Now, if you're not a Marvel fan, um, this might not be an episode for you. Or, you know, if you have interest in uh, Chinese wuxia, I would actually say, listen to us talk about this movie a bit. Um, part of the reason we are so excited about it is, of course, you know, Chinese-American representation. We want to see more Asian representation that is by Asian people and supported by Asian people and just like we want to see more representation that is I, I, I hesitate to use the word authentic but that hits the mark you know like Black Panther did so we were really excited about it we didn't actually have a lot of expectations going in but we were pleasantly surprised we talk about a lot of things around this movie and we hope you enjoy this episode um, and also I know this is a K-drama podcast, so forgive us our uh, occasional forays into Marvel fangirlness, but uh, it's a part of us. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy um, listening to us do a bit of fangirling. Okay, that's that's it. Thanks, patrons. Thank you, listeners. And we are off to the episode. Anissa. This is Parma and the two of us, two of us, <laughs> was Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And because we are both Marvel nuts, we thought we would talk about this drama. It's a bit of a milestone and we have thoughts. <laughs> this movie. This movie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, did you see it in the theater, Parma? It's only available in theaters right now everywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it in theaters and I kind of got lucky with the seating. Um, I I was, okay, listen, I am one of those people who really likes uh, being somewhat close to the screen. So I got like the E, which is like the sixth row um, in the hall. And happily, everybody had taken like those high up back seats. So I could be like really close to the screen. And my entire, though, I think like three or four rows around me were completely empty. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, like I deliberately didn't go opening week because I knew it would be busy and I didn't want to like be close to people for three hours. <laughs> so um, we actually went on Tuesday, which is like, like in the middle of the day purposefully and it was like yeah. just us and this old couple in the whole theater just, it was very nice <laughs> very quiet very socially distanced so that was good um oh it was really good like yeah. I had very low expectations because I was like I because I'm not um I, I really have enjoyed like the Infinity War saga and I loved the X-Men growing up, but I'm not like one of those super hardcore Marvel people that like reads all the comics. Like the only comics I've really read are like the Ms. Marvel comics. I'm not one of those people that like knows all the obscure, obscure characters and has like read up on all of the like connecting detail. Like I just really enjoyed the Avengers, um, even with their like less fun parts. Um, but, but then like after the Infinity War song, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm kind of over this over these people and like did you know about Shang-Chi because I had never heard of this character so I had heard about him um it was okay so I had a phase where I was looking up more Marvel characters to read about this was during my comic like very brief comic book phase that I had um 
And I was like, of course, like all kids, I was really into Spider-Man and then started reading about other Marvel characters. I, I started looking actively for any Asian <laughs> superheroes mm. out there. So at that point, I had briefly come across uh, a single issue uh, of Shang-Chi. And the thing is, I didn't like it because the writing, um, I, at this point, I don't remember which issue it was, which writer it was. Um, it was very... Uh, cliched and I knew exactly where the story was going from like the first page and I just didn't like it and of course that is a problem that you have with minor characters um, or rather minority characters given minor roles on the larger landscape of these um, you know these comic books even like before it became a multiverse and on cinema where they weren't they didn't have the best writers creating these stories and because demand wasn't huge at that point or at least these um, bookstores didn't see these publishing houses didn't see any demand Um, they didn't invest properly into these comics so they turned out to be poorly made and of course that pushed away readers like me who did seek them out and also like he's the son of Fu Manchu who's like one of the most racist characters in history right like these are basically like characters who were originally born out of the need for a villain and that villain just being a stereotype yeah of a foreign person you know like uh like that you know yellow peril whatever so like it's super problematic in origin um and i just feel i just feel like marvel's previous attempts at like taking a problematic trope or a character and trying to make it better have just not worked like for example um, giving the ancient one role to Tilda Swinton in a spectacularly tone-deaf piece of whitewashing <laughs> or uh, another spectacularly horrible uh, piece of whitewashing, which was the Iron Fist series, um, which is literally just made into white guy. I could not watch beyond the first episode. It was just... Oh, uh, I mean, uh, I saw like trailers and promo stuff and I was like, uh, this is not it. So especially with Asian characters... They've just had a really terrible track record of um, just not doing a good job. Just being like, this is problematic, so we're just going to, like, pivot completely and do something worse instead of trying to, like, give something to creators who are, like, from that culture and background and who actually are invested in making these people into, like, fully fleshed, interesting people, which, like, is what they did in Black Panther, and Black Panther was amazing because of that. So. But in this case, they did actually give it to... So, like, um, the director and and one of the writers are both, uh, like, of part Asian heritage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's Dustin Daniel Cretton and... um, So the writers are Dave Callahan and Andrew Lanham. Yeah. Dave Callahan is also of Asian heritage. So, like, there's that part. There's an amazing cast. But still, I'm just like... I. I don't know. The last couple of Marvel TV series were also kind of disappointing. <laughs> so I was like, I'm kind of not. In a... But, you know, it's sometimes it's good to have low expectations um, because that made me really, really enjoy this movie. I think even more than if I had been like super pumped for it, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I went in with very low expectations, too, except that I expected like good fight scenes because the trailer clearly gave us like an amazing fight scene to start with. And shocker of shockers they actually i mean it was worth watching on the big screen even though you had seen a good chunk of that bus fight scene in the trailers already like it it was just such a great scene um 
something that uh, the video essayist uh, who runs the channel, Accented Cinema, pointed out was the camera was part of every motion during the fight. And I, I have to say, like top notch. I mean, one of the best fight scenes. Um, th- th- this this show, show this uh, movie definitely has one of the best fight scenes Marvel has done. I mean, I think com- if if you want to compare it, probably. Civil War had some really great hand-to-hand um, combat, especially between Bucky and um, Cap. But uh, even then, there was a lot of editing that was cutting out movement, which they didn't do here. Like every actor yes. who, who who was involved in the fight, they knew martial arts and you could see that in the motion and the camera was just dancing with them. And also just the choreography of the fight. I was just... I know this is not like a huge part of the story. I, I'm just saying that this is something that's going to stay with me for a very long time. How much the fights were, how much care the fights had been, you know, that had been put into the fights and also that they were part of the narrative. It wasn't just, oh, look, Asian movie fight scene. And yeah, yeah. 100%. You know, like the story, like the fight itself is, Beautifully choreographed, beautifully done, beautifully shot, where you actually have like these wide shots where you can actually see what people are doing. Imagine that, you know? And then also <laughs> they're advancing the character, they're advancing the story. They're telling you more about these people instead of just being like, plot, plot, plot. Oh, here's some action. Plot is going to grind to a halt. Now, okay, action's over. Back to the plot. You know, like it didn't yeah. do that, which yeah. is one of my pet peeves with action movies. Um, I feel like the first half action was better than like some of the ending stuff just because the ending stuff had more CGI and Mm. like, but it was really lovingly portrayed like the mixture of like Wuxia and like the, you know, sort of Marvel. (laughs) What what do you even call that? Like that Marvel sensibility, like that superhero movie sensibility. was flawless. Like it was seamless. If if you were a Marvel fan, this is a Marvel movie. If you're a Wuxia fan, you can actually watch this and be like, yeah, this is a Wuxia movie. I mean, it's just, it it was so wonderfully mixed together. Like, this is a fusion that you aspire to. Right. Um, also, can we talk about Tony Leung now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's talk about Tony Leung. <laughs> Why haven't we talked about him yet? It's been oh, too many minutes without Tony clearly, Leung. He's clearly the lead of this. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure Shimu Liu is great. Um, but it's... His character was not the central character in my mind. The entire story from the beginning to the end seemed to be about Tony Leung's, his ancient um, mission, the the time when he meets this woman who makes him pause and try and change, the loss of her, how he deals or doesn't deal with the grief of it, how that impacts the world around him. It was his story from the beginning to the end. And, yeah, he was and I loved just... how, yeah, I mean, his acting is like beyond oh. his charm and his charisma and everything. But I also loved how like the writing of his character, which is uh, Wen Wu, who's the the one with the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, he, it's not one of those stories, like a kind of, in the beginning when he falls in love with um, their mother. Yeah, the actress Fala Chen. You think... Like, I was thinking, like, oh, is this going to be one of those stories where, like, a bad man is reformed by the love of a good woman? But it, like, totally, it makes you think that you're going there. And then you're like, oh, he was still the same person. He just took a break because he found (laughs) someone he loved. But in the end, like, when push came to shove and life got hard, he went back to who he really was and, like, 
the values that he actually held. Mm. And that was like so much more compelling than I I always have a problem. Yeah. And I always have a problem with like stories that frame this thing of like, he's evil, but like, if he can love someone, then he's not that evil. But it's like, no, evil people also have people that they love. That doesn't make their actions any better or like more redeemable. They can still be terrible human beings. So this, the you know, like he does love his children. He does love his wife. But like fundamentally, the things that he's willing to do are really horrifying and like violent and cruel. And he doesn't care, um, which was really well done. Um, that part was really well done. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I, I, it, it's interesting that you mentioned his value system because the way, and I really liked, I, I think that it's because of the dialogue. Some of the dialogue here was really, really well done, especially between him and his children. There is a moment um, towards the latter half of the story where, so this is a bit of a spoiler. Um, I think it's a Oh, I, th- I thought obvious. we were spoiling. I thought oh, we were spoiling yeah, everything. Okay. It does not matter then. Isn't so this he loses his <laughs> right. He loses his wife. Um and he isn't there to protect her when that happens, but his son witnesses it happening. And his son is like seven years old at that point. And um, of course, you know, as Risa said, he goes back to who he was, takes up his ten rings, becomes like, you know, immortal warrior guy again. Um and his life's mission becomes something very convoluted that it just, you have to watch a, a movie to understand. But there is a moment towards the latter half of the film where he literally tells his son, his grown-up son now, you, and mind you, he was seven years old, didn't do anything while your mother was being killed. You and just watched her die. Yeah, I was you like, you just watched her die. Now, this dude. this this comes from a space, and uh, this comes to my mind from a space of really, really toxic masculinity. Like even the seven-year-old boy had to run out to protect his mother because that is how he sees. Like that, that is what he expects of his children. But the idea that as a seven-year-old boy, he's the one that who should have been protected, which his mother clearly understood. It's it's like when he lost his wife, he lost whatever little moral center he had and mm. everything is skewed after that. And it really shows in his relationship with his children. He doesn't have a relationship with his children. Everything is about revenge or like somehow, you know, getting his wife, like uh, rescuing his wife from the afterlife. It's like a very... Yeah. And even though, like, space. I like what you said about how that reflects his, you know, like that toxic masculinity, because also the other thing that happens is immediately after his wife dies, his son now has to be like his avatar Mm. and like the perfect assassin to complete the revenge against the people who killed his mother and to be like, you know, passing down all of his evil legacies. He wants to pass those down to his son and his daughter just becomes like nothing. Yeah. He just completely ignores her. And so I, by the way, I loved that character um his sister Xia i Ling. think her name is jialing yeah yeah uh like this this actress i think she's like it's her debut role or something she was so good i loved how they gave space to the siblings relationships and like all the hurt that she had of him like you know because it's almost like oh like shang chi is the hero but everyone around him is so much more interesting and that's not to say that that shang chi is a bad hero but like it kind of like black panther there are so many interesting people in this universe Mm. and all of it comes from those relationships right it's not like this one guy who's 
you know, with, like in a lot of the other Marvel movies, it's about like, this, this like superhuman dude. Exactly. It's all about him. He's in every scene. He's the focus of every scene. Everyone exists to prop up his own greatness, even to prop up his badness. It's, mm. you know, like even when he's going through times where like he's flawed and he's bad and he has to learn, but it's all about him. Whereas mm. here, like everybody else gets to be fully fleshed out too. It's not just about his journey. Yeah. His journey is the central one, but it's like, it's like their family's journey. It, it is. And he is, for a majority of the movie, reacting to things that are happening. He's not the active, he's not the actor who's moving the story forward it's actually his father who's moving the story forward yeah he um him going back so there is this entire situation where um as a child he ran away from his abusive father and um landed up in america and there he grew up um friends with uh, aquafina's character aquafina's character katie and so sean and katie are besties and they are grown up um they're really smart kids but they don't know what to do with their lives so they are um valet parkers um um, is that what they're called? Like, is it is it redundant if I say valet and parkers? <laughs> I think they're just I think they're just valets. I don't know, valets, like hotel right? valets. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, everybody around them is like, "What are you doing with your life?" And they're like, "But we are having fun. We have like a low tension job, and we're getting paid, and we get to ride fancy cars, and we're just we're chilling." But basically, they're aimless with their life. But somewhere, um, okay, this is something I actually want to talk about. With Aquafina's character, this aimlessness is later not addressed so much, but it kind of comes back in that she's being told by her family forever that you have to take the shot, do something, do something. Don't just sit there, be passive, do something. And that comes to fruition at a later point. Simo Liu's character, Sean or Shang-Chi, um, doesn't actually have that kind of an arc. I didn't actually understand what his inner demons were in that what okay so there is this entire thing about him hiding his true self which is a blend of his mother and his father because he doesn't want to face things I didn't really understand what his true self was aside from magic powers um, because he didn't seem to have that kind of a character arc like what was he was not as passive as Aquafina's character like Katie was he she literally didn't know what to do with her life whereas Sean was hiding so he couldn't do anything with his life so he wasn't just passive because passivity think, was yeah. yeah I guess I understand what you're saying but I think for him like it wasn't about growing as a character it was more about facing up to the things that he'd been running away from so like it's a different kind of origin story because it's not like Spider-Man getting bit by the spider and suddenly having magic powers it's like he had this whole secret life as an assassin and like that's something that he knows about and the audience doesn't find out until Katie finds out right mm. like so you have it's very different and I like that it was different I think this is like one of the better origin stories out of all the Marvel movies that I've watched because you are basically um like you were saying earlier I don't know if this was online or offline but you're saying like Katie is the one who's kind of the audience surrogate in this situation right, right? like really we're is. on the ride with her She's finding out the things that we're finding out. But him, he has this whole life that he's never... It's almost like he, because he was so traumatized, he kind of like compartmentalized his childhood. And then and then there was a second part of his life until he was like 14 that he also kind of just like compartmentalized and like blocked off. Mm. And he doesn't like think about any of that. And so the movie is him finally having... Like, I don't think his personality or like who he is really changes, but he has to be like, oh this is part of my past and I have to like bring it out into the light and face 
the bad things and the good things about it. So I, for me, it worked. Hmm. Um, especially in that scene, in that final scene where he's confronting his dad and his dad is saying all this terrible stuff to him. And he, for the first time, he actually has an answer. Whereas before, every interaction he had with his dad, his dad was telling him stuff. He's like, okay. Or he just like didn't respond. This time he actually has a comeback or like his own moral code that he's mm-hmm. decided on. Not like the one that his mom gave him or the one that his dad gave him. Which like kind of works in that. It, it kind of comes from that scene with Michelle Yeoh where she's like, you have to embrace both sides of, you know, your legacy. Like what your parents gave you, both of them, not just, you know, choose and then use them in your own way. Like, but Michelle Yeoh said it better. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. <laughs> with like more cool airbending powers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also, you know, dragons make everything make sense somehow. Um, I don't even question things after dragons come up. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, it was a lot of CG, but it looked pretty cool. I wish it, it hadn't been so cool. dark. But um, so that's something I kept thinking. Like, why? Why is it that Spider Man is like the only franchise where everything happens under sunlight? <laughs> Every other Marvel movie is in darkness, and you can't even just blame DC well, for like this. The sky just turns purple, and you're like, I can no longer see anything. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, this is the most expensive part of the movie, and I literally cannot see anything. I mean, the only good thing about that was that you could see the rings really well, and that was yeah. very cool. Yeah, but it was. So just- I- I just, I I loved how they, okay, so here's something that everybody hates about the first Wonder Woman Woman movie. It's their final lightning-y battle scene. And now, of course, this final thing also has a bit of a lightning-y battle scene, except there is more um, emotional heft to it. So we don't, at least I didn't personally mind that the martial arts part took a bit of a backseat and superpowers versus superpowers started happening. But also, the rings make like really fantastic. The whole choreography with the rings when you're fighting with them, that is just... That's fun to watch. I enjoyed I, that. Yeah, I feel like this is like the best magical artifact we've had in a while. Yeah, Probably definitely. nothing else really other than like Thor's hammer is as entertaining to watch, you know, people use. That's like a so that was really cool, especially like how he steals them from him, you know, yeah. slowly. That was really cool. And how like they have different colors depending on who's controlling them. I, I agree. It was really creative. Um, the use of the rings and in, in the fighting choreography. I do and I've like I've seen some complaints about this, and I was also kind of thinking about this as I was watching. It is still a martial arts movie about East Asian people, yeah. In the end, um, and it does still kind of play on that like this ancient, you know, s- secret society of like mystically powered Asians that have you know that have been around forever, and they're like they have this fantasy world, and there's dragons, and like who even knows what's happening? And it's like uh, I don't know, like. I, on one hand, see that it's like a a loving reclaiming of it by the people whose heritage that is. And I really love that. And I also love that it's like Chinese people from China and also Chinese people from the U.S. and from Canada. And like they're all there's not like one type of Chinese person in this movie, (laughs) you know, like they have. You know, it's so cool that, like, uh, Katie is like, yeah, I actually don't speak Chinese. (laughs) Whereas, you know, Sumu is I mean, sorry, Shang-Chi is fluent. He, he is kind of straddling those two worlds. His sister stayed. So she's, you know, um, like she has like a slightly different cultural perspective. 
But like, that's how families are. You have people who have different experiences. They're all part of the same family. You know, like yeah, yeah, I have cousins who have grown up in other parts of the world. We have different experiences, but we're still family, you know? I did like that it was like a global cast and even the story was kind of global. However, I I also wanted to address something that was pointed out by the same essayist of Accent Cinema. I love his stuff. Um, mm, yes, so his stuff his, is amazing. Right? So he did one on Shang-Chi and his, the thesis of his uh, video was basically that he had gone in hoping that this would be the story about a Chinese American and not yet another story where um, the Chinese American is actually a foreigner when he, and his true, you know, he truly belongs to the magical East and mm-hmm. he is complete when he goes back to the magical East to reclaim his roots, which are in the East. <laughs> because yeah, not even Chinese like a American, figurative magical East, yeah. but like a literal, <laughs> literal magical, magical East. East. That's like not, yeah, it's like a whole, even like a another level more fantastical. Right. And, I, yeah. and I completely understand what he says because the first, what, uh, 15, 20 minutes where they were in America and he was living his, you know, Chinese American life, um, hanging out with friends who understand it. I like the, the offhanded reference to, you know, how people behave with us. And when he says with us, everybody in the table knows what's being talked about. Yes. And just, I liked that. And I, and I uh, agree. I also wanted more moments of those, but then they traveled right out of America and then America was forgotten until the very end. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, I understand his perspective, but I had two, two things to say to that. The first is that once Shang-Chi's character has been established, he's going to probably stay in America and fight, you know, a future Avenger battle. So you're going to probably see him um, in that role and other characters around him. Um, as Chinese Americans being represented and their uh, experience as Chinese Americans are not like, you know, uh, displaced Chinese people. That's that's not the story that's always going to be told. Um, that's a hopeful uh, perspective of the future. But the more important thing is, as, as you pointed out, this was more a reclaiming of uh, content that already existed with uh, that whole Magical East background history. Um, so... This was probably, I mean, if that they had completely disassociated the character from that background, then it would no longer be Shang-Chi and they probably wouldn't have been able to do the reclaiming effectively. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm justifying it because I enjoyed the movie, but maybe I don't fully understand. Um, yeah, and like as two people who are not, I mean, we're Asian, yeah, but we're not from that background. Like I can totally understand why, you know, you would feel that way. I think the problem always is not enough stories. Not enough <laughs> as stories. As usual, yeah. we come back to this, right? So this is the the first and only, you know, Asian superhero that we've seen represented on the big screen. So obviously, like, it's not going to be able to be everything to every person. Um, and it shouldn't have to be. And I think the solution, as always, is just more, more films. Yes. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Like, there's a movie coming out soon called Blue Bayou that just premiered at TIFF a couple weeks ago about um, that tells the story of like Korean American adoptees that um, don't end up getting citizenship and they end up being deported back to Korea. And it's like it happens to a lot of kids. And I haven't seen any real coverage of it until a couple of years back when I watched this um, like a YouTube interview with someone who had that story. And then they talked about this on Move to Heaven. Um, that was like from a Korean perspective of like a Korean American adoptee who had 
been unable to get citizenship and came back to South Korea and was like literally stateless. Um, and then like he has a really tragic end because he's just alone and nobody's helping him. So like um, that movie is coming out soon. I'm really excited to watch that. I hope that people also watch those kind of movies, um, you know? So, you know, like it's, it's, it's always hard to like Ms. Marvel is coming to the big screen soon. I'm kind of nervous about that. I don't know how <laughs> it's going to happen. Like I'm excited, but I'm also like, oh, am I going to be mad? I don't know. So yeah, it's complicated. It is complicated. And um, Kamala Khan's, when the first issues came out, I remember the objections to the storyline that had come up some justified objections but again it all come down, comes down to not enough stories because her story cannot represent everybody's experience it just represents this one character's experience um, but it's also I what I really like about the Kamala Khan comic, comic is not just Kamala Khan but the characters around her and they have very defined opinions and I really want them depicted on screen because I think that would really fill out her world and give people different points to, you know, see themselves, like different people to see themselves in. And I'm hopeful, I'm really, really hopeful that they yeah. do this well. Um, I hope so too. I mean, I don't think that we're going to get to see any of those other characters in her first appearance because that's going to be in uh, the, Miss, yeah. the Captain Marvel 2. We're probably just going to see her for like a few minutes. But the TV series will hopefully give us like her family, like her parents, her brother, her best friends. Um, so that I'm really excited for. And that's like one of the things that's really cool about something like Shang-Chi or um, like, you know, a Black Panther that it gives you a complete world of full human beings rather than mm. just being like um, a team of white people and like one black dude, but you don't know anything about his family <laughs> or his life or his thoughts even. Like he's just there to like have quips and do funny moves and like interesting acrobatics with his wings. You know, like that kind of stuff. Ouch. That's not really, <laughs> I mean, I didn't watch the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so maybe they did a better job. But not not according to what I've heard. Did. They, they yeah. actually did. Did you watch pretty, it? I, I watched okay. it and I liked it. Um, there there are things that I can talk about, but that's mostly the politics, uh, which was badly handled. They were trying to go for one thing, and then they ended up justifying another thing. It was a bit painful. But in terms of representation, um, they did a pretty decent job of exploring Falcon's uh, family life and his actual burdens and his relationship to other black men and women. It's just... That's it was really good to hear. Yeah, that's good. really good to hear. I Yeah, I, I heard a little bit about how it was like a little too rah-rah military and police. And I was like, yeah, I cannot watch this in 2021. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I think... Yeah. So I think that's the thing, right? Is like, you're not just getting um, like a token, my, you know, like, so for example, in Spider-Man Homecoming, was it Homecoming? No, it, Far From Home. They all have home in the title. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. In Spider-Man Far From Home, I was really excited to see that he has a hijabi classmate. Um, and she even like spoke once or twice. And I was like, this is amazing. But like, in the end, is that representation? Not really. Like, she's just background scenery right like yeah. so that's fine if you also have characters who are humans you know and i mean she wasn't represented in a bad way but i guess what i'm saying is like if you she wasn't visible if you have enough. no and if you give people this space to have 
you know, their family relationships and kind of show a little bit of their community dynamic, then then that one character doesn't have to hold up uh, like the weight of an entire universe anymore, which is what you would wish for all of our characters to be seen as individuals. And so we can just like enjoy their stories and not have to worry about like what message is this sending? Because <laughs> that's not fun when you're watching entertainment. Oh, that is that is definitely not fun. Okay, going back to Shang-Chi. Um, I'm really happy that Marvel has continued to create um, characters that I can kind of like. Going Because my main worry after the Infinity War was that uh, the future slate of characters might not... Um, keep me invested because the original Avengers were just they were something amazing in even with all of the things that we can complain about when they came together the way they were created it was just something that you didn't think could be recreated and maybe that dynamic can't but I like that individual stories within the multiverse are spawning characters that I really like yeah and I think they also realized that that was like a once in a lifetime kind of happening <laughs> the, the way that everything came together starting with iron man mm. and ending with like infinity uh avengers endgame like they can't do that again like that's never gonna happen again you know like and i think they're smart enough to realize that and so like this new multiverse idea they have of just like spinning off interesting stories and kind of they don't necessarily all have to like fit into like this very rigid timeline yeah. and you know that's cool. Like, I liked how this movie doesn't really refer to very much outside of its own story. Like, yes, you see Wong a couple times, but it's not like, let's take five minutes to set up this future movie that, and like, in a way that has nothing to do with anything that's happening right now, you know? No. Um, I know there was a post credit scene. I couldn't stay for it. Um, but that's I- not... I, I stayed for both post credit scenes. Oh, tell me about them. I, we had an appointment, <laughs> so we had to run out. Okay, so um, I would just first want to mention that I really liked how they randomly inserted Wong in, in, uh, right in the middle of the movie where you were not expecting him. Because that was great. One thing that I really disliked about um, Doctor Strange, I was going to call him Doctor Stranger, <laughs> K-drama. <laughs> K- um, random K-drama crossover. <laughs> <laughs> so what I really disliked about the original Doctor Strange was how Wong's character was just like a librarian who can fight and just there and didn't actually have any meat. And I really like that eventually. And, and then again, in the subsequent Avengers movies, he was like a supporting character to Doctor Strange. I really like that his thing here is that he is an independent... Um, what are they? What are they called? Like he... What is he and his, like, they have a name for him and his brethren of monk-like people. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so what, whatever he, it is that he does, um, he is just, he, he has his own thing. He has his own thing and he does his own thing and he is perfectly capable of mentoring um, new superheroes on the block. And I just really like that he has the authority and the confidence and all of that stuff in um, this movie. Okay, so this leads me to first post credit scene, which is basically, okay, it kind of loops back to the beginning of the movie where you start with Sean and Katie sitting at the table with his friends, telling stories. But this time they're telling the real story of what happened in the last week. And their friend is like, is this you guys getting back at me for saying get a life, do something more than being a valet? Oh, that was and the then, ending of that was the ending of the movie. That wasn't a post credit scene. Oh, 
Oh damn it! <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. Okay, so what was the post credit scene that I saw? Okay, did you guys see? Did you see? Okay, no, no, no. Before we move on to post credit scene, then I just want to say how how nice was that ending? That was great. Okay, so that leads me to the post credit scene, which is that after um, Sean and Katie go into the uh, magic hole created by Wong, um, <laughs> the magic hole. <laughs> The portal. To call it. It's a portal. It's a portal. A I don't portal, know what the technical right. term is right, either. Right. Portal. Portal makes sense. Um, they go in there. So the first uh, postcard scene is basically Wong being all like, um, he's examining the ten rings, and with him are hologram, hollow, hollow representations of uh, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, right? Yeah, and um, Hulk. But okay. like. In in Bruce Avatar, he's back oh. to being Bruce. Um, and it was actually really nice just seeing them because you know we want oh, those those how do references. I watch this? Can I watch this somewhere? I need to go watch this. I'm pretty sure it'll be up on YouTube soon. Um, and like it's just like a, a conversation between them about like how old the Ten Rings are, and turns out that they are like older than any other artifact they have, and they have no idea how it was created. So it's kind of a, a conversation on that. Um, and then, you know, just normal quips that happen. And the second post-credit scene was basically on um, Shang-Chi's sister, um, Xiaoling. Xiaoling? Xiaoling? Xiaoling. We're Please. really sorry about our pronunciation. I'm so sorry. Please um, forgive us. Okay, I'm going to try this one more time. Uh, apologies for the really bad pronunciation. Um, Xiaoling? Uh, totally wrong. So the sister, <laughs> she has a moment where she's supposed to be like dismantling her father's um, empire. And uh, instead, she just co-ops it. She's like, it's going to be my thing now. Because she was already running this underground <laughs> fight thing. And she's like, well, I have all of these fighters. Why waste them? So she basically takes over the compound and like paints them in like these really flashy graffiti and it's like she cre- she makes it her own thing and she sits, sits, sits on her father's throne and is basically the new commander of the Ten Rings. That's amazing. I love that. So um, that's that's how the drama ends. Oh, oh movie. Movie ends. It's a movie. Um, <laughs> Anything I, else before we wrap up? Yeah, I just wanted to say quickly how happy I was to see Ben Kingsley back as Trevor Slatterly because he was given an ignominious representation in his previous outings in Oh Marvel. my god, that was um, so bad. It was so bad, but I think his character is totally redeemed here because there are so many things that happen. One thing, he has amazing lines and I was like in splits. He was so funny, um, but also he just, it's... Listen, this guy, he is clearly not completely sane. Like, he's not, he needs help, right? But what um, Shang-Chi's dad does, which is Tony Leung's character, is because this guy played Mandarin, um, he kidnaps him to bring him back and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, kill him. I, but, you know, there's a more formal word. What's What's it? Uh, assassinate? As, execute. No, no, execute. Execute is the word. <laughs> but apparently he makes... Um, you know, everybody laugh or, or get very entertained by his uh, some line he does from Shakespeare. So his punishment is every evening he has to basically do a monologue um, and entertain uh, the Ten Rings people. <laughs> um, and that's it. He's stuck there doing that over and over and over again because he had the bad sense to play Mandarin because he was hired, you know, and he needed the money. It's 
sad. Like it's hilarious, but it's also kind of it's sad, sad. But also like. <laughs> If you think about this on a meta level, I mean, it's already a very meta character because it's like going back and sort of fixing something bad about a previous movie. But it's also like uh, his punishment for playing a racial stereotype is just to like perform for these bad people for the rest of his life, you know, like (laughs) to be forced to perform something bad or that he doesn't want to be doing for the rest of his life. And it's just I don't know. It just makes me kind of uh, kind of chuckle. Yeah, I mean, I, I exactly. There are so many layers to this, and and also, I just just I don't want to spoil this part because his role is kind of small, but it it's it's it makes me happy. <laughs> I'm so glad his character existed. Um, just quickly, I wanted to talk about uh, the magical uh, space. Um, the first thing is, I really liked the whole moving maze concept. I mean, I that don't was think super cool. I don't think Marvel does proper magic very well. Like one of the few times they kind of did it well was in Doctor Strange where there was like this whole, you know, flipping of buildings and all of that stuff while they were fighting. But it was very, um, it reminded everybody of Inception too much for it to be a unique Marvel thing. But for once they have magic in the mix and it's completely magic. It's not like God's superpower. It's like magic as in like... um, you know, can't explain it type magic. (laughs) And they did it. They made it wistful and beautiful and natural. Somehow they made it natural. Oh, and there are kumihos in here. I love the kumiho cameo. That was great. Right? I was like, me and my sister looked at each other and we were like, it's a kumiho. (laughs) (laughs) And baby kumihos. Um, So basically, my point is that I, even though, yes, the final um, battle was all like, whoa, magic and CGI, I still liked it because it was done with care and it was very pretty and it made sense within the story we were being told. Um, So, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, we'll be looking forward to seeing more of Shanti kind of, I guess, not in his in his home. I guess I guess uh, San Francisco is his home now. So, yeah, I would like to see more of him. I hope it's not just like he's just going to be like picked up and plopped into random other stories yeah yeah from now on which i that would be kind of sad like i hope he like does get i, I hope they do sure. all these characters do get to come back like as an ensemble i'm pretty way. sure they will because this movie is already doing really well and i'm pretty sure it's going to be raking in a lot of money for marvel this character is going to get a sequel oh a final thing i want to talk about is i really liked how sean and katie are friends I just mm. really enjoyed that. And they really love each other. Now, I don't know if that would develop into a romantic thing in the future. But for the length of this movie, I really liked how they are good friends. And a lot of his emotional beats happen when he's talking to her. Um, and vice versa. Like, so, I mean, it, it did, this movie didn't really explore um, Aquafina's character much, Katie's character much. In Like, you got minor points you understood what her life beats kind of were, but like they weren't hugely pivotal. However, you could see the strength of their relationship in the story. And I just genuinely enjoyed yeah. that. It was a realistic bestie relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. We enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> We're done. Tell us your thoughts. Yeah. I, I love how like we occasionally just go full Marvel. <laughs> We're like, here, have an, have an episode about a Marvel movie. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah. 
I did do that poll on Twitter asking people if they're okay with us talking about non-K-drama stuff occasionally. People are like, yeah, as long as it's not all the time. So I feel like we're, you know. We covered our bases. <laughs> exactly. Also, we we mentioned a, a K-drama or two in this episode. We did. And so. I call a movie a drama quite a few times, I think. <laughs> I think we have established our roots, which is in the exactly. dramas. <laughs> yes. Okay, so... Um, to wrap up, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcast at Dramas Overflow. You can find Anisa. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Anisa Khalifa underscore. And you can find me, Parva, at Festa Foster. You can also find us uh, on Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And you can find our website at dramasoverflowers.net. Please email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com and tell us what you thought of Shang-Chi and if you're more excited for Marvel or if you're done with Marvel, <laughs> which would be totally understandable. Yeah, it's um, like, it's a, it's a long, it's a long, long, long franchise. I mean, yes, totally understandable. Oh, but by the way, just a short note. This is actually a decent movie to get in cold. Like if you have no previous reference of other movies, then don't yes. want to watch them. Agreed. It's not like those other movies where you have to watch like 10 other movies before you understand what's happening. Like some of the previous from the Infinity Saga. So yes. Also a really nice movie to watch with your parents. Yeah. And your family Agreed. members. Yeah. Agreed. This this one, this one does that well. Okay, finally, you can find us on Facebook, look up Dramas Over Flowers, and you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, yeah, the link is going to be in the description. <laughs> yes, and Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more shows you'll love, go to frolic.media slash podcast. And that's it. And that's it. Bye, guys. Bye.